This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We continued our Authors at Macmillan series with author Jim Cobb talking about his book, Countdown to Preparedness. This is a recording of the live event. If you want to know what you need and how to prepare for an event that keeps you stuck at home for an extended time, such as storms, power outage, or financial problems, then this podcast is for you. Jim Cobb walks us through actionable steps to be prepared for surviving in your home unexpectedly. Jim Cobb is a nationally recognized authority on disaster readiness and emergency preparedness. He has written nine books to date and is the editor-in-chief for Prepper Survival Guide and Backwoods Survival Guide magazines. Jim has worked extensively with Panteo Productions on a series of instructional videos as well. He lives in Wisconsin with his wife, children, and an assortment of critters. And now, here's Jim. Good evening. Uh, my name is Jim Cobb, and I'm going to break the cardinal rule of preparedness by admitting to one and all that I am a prepper. The first rule of prepping is you don't talk about prepping. Um, I've been at this a long time. I've been interested in actively involved with preparedness for well over 30 years. Don't read more into that than what I mean. (laughs) When I was 10 years old, I thought it was cool to be prepared for tornadoes, so when the little thing "Eh, eh, eh," on the TV, I grabbed stuffed animals and canned goods and ran to the basement. (laughs) That's what I mean by I've been involved with prepping for over 30 years. When I was a little bit older, I joined Cub Scouts and the whole be prepared thing, and it just, it's kind of snowballed from there. Today, I am the editor-in-chief for Prepper Survival Guide magazine, Backwoods Survival Guide magazine. I've written nine books so far, more on the way, hopefully. Um, I write for a lot of the other magazines in the niche, Survivor's Edge, American Survival Guide, stuff like that. I know at least a few of you are familiar with me from either past classes or online interaction. I'm very active on social media, um, which sounds so lame, but that's the best way to network with people. A couple of housekeeping things before we get rolling here. Number one, if you have a question at any point during the presentation, it's just like school. Raise your hand and I'll get to you when I can. I do ask that if you raise your hand, your question at least is somewhat related to what we're talking about. I've done classes before where we're talking about vehicle emergency kits and somebody raises their hand and wants to know about the best home water filter I recommend. And it just brings everything to a screeching halt. Um, I don't know everything. I know a lot of stuff, but I don't know everything. And I'm not afraid to say, I don't know, let's research it together, okay? If you need to get up for any reason, feel free to do so. Bathrooms are straight out that way. Um, Try to be as least disruptive as you can. We're here today. I was originally brought here to talk about my book, Countdown to Preparedness. 
Countdown of Preparedness came out four years ago, four or five years ago. The idea behind the book was simple. I wanted to have a resource for people to take them from a zero level of preparedness to fairly ready for emergencies over the course of a year. Every week, there's a lesson to read. There's a small amount of things to purchase. There's water to stock up on. There's money to set aside. Again, the idea being, at the end of 52 weeks, you're fully prepared to meet almost all of your own needs for probably two to three months in the event of a complete breakdown. For tonight, what I wanted to do, we've only got an hour, so we got to cram a lot of stuff in. We're going to concentrate strictly on sheltering in place at home. 99% of emergencies that are going that are likely to happen in your life, you will want to stay at home. I am not somebody who recommends that you, at the drop of a hat, grab your trusty bug out bag and go run off to the woods and live off the land for the rest of your days. The, the problem with that approach, from my perspective, is this. If you want to grab a backpack and run off to the woods and live out of that backpack and live off the land for the rest of your days, that's fine. But the number of those days is probably going to be far fewer than you thought it was going to be. Okay? Most people are not physically, mentally, psychologically equipped for that type of lifestyle for a long period of time. Most of us would be far more comfortable in our own homes. That's where all our stuff is. You know, we talk about prepping, we talk about putting up food and water and all these supplies, and then you talk to some of these survivalists and they want to leave it all behind and go run to the woods. It makes no sense to me. What we're going to talk about is how to prepare your family and your home to meet your needs for at least a few weeks, if not longer. Okay? That makes sense? It begins with water. There's the commonly touted rule of three. You can live three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. It's just a, a mnemonic device is all it is. It's not written in stone, okay? People can hold their breath for a lot longer than three minutes. And depending on the conditions, you could last three days without shelter or you could last a half hour without shelter, okay? We live in Wisconsin. We've seen 50 below, all right? But the fact of the matter is water is life. We need to have water in order to be healthy, in order to survive. We are water-based beings, okay? So when we look at preparedness, that's the first thing we want to tackle is to make sure we have enough water to meet our needs. How much water do we need? The experts suggest that you need to have one gallon of water per person per day for the length of the emergency. Which is all well and good if you know in advance how long you're going to need water. Right? That's simple math. I recommend a two-prong approach. Now, odds are, in an emergency, if you turn your faucet on, water is going to come out. For most of us, 
Okay. What we're talking about is if that doesn't happen. I recommend a two-prong approach. You should have some amount of water stored, but you should also have the means to filter, purify, or disinfect additional water, such as you know, collecting it from a rain barrel or a stream or a creek or whatever you have around you. Okay. For storing water, there's basically two different options. You can fill water jug yourself, or you can go buy containers of water. Don't use old milk jugs to store water. I know there are people who have done it. They've done it successfully, and the water's lasted years. And I know other people if the water lasted about eight months and then the containers developed little pinholes and they went down to the basement one day to a real big mess. I say, don't take that risk. There are better things out there. Juice bottles, two liter soda bottles. They're a little bit sturdier. Wash them out really good, fill them with water. If you are on municipal water, you don't have to do anything to it. You don't have to add anything to it, just close it up. If you're on well water or you're getting your water from some natural source, put a couple drops of bleach in there and then seal it up. Now, bleach doesn't last forever, right? Bleach in a bottle, once the bottle's open, lasts about six months. And then it, it's deteriorating. I had somebody ask me once, well, if bleach deteriorates and I'm putting it in my water and closing it up, then how is my water still going to be good? In case anybody's wondering that and you don't want to ask that question, you're putting the bleach in the water to kill anything that might be in there. Does that make sense? When you close it, nothing's getting in there. So even if the bleach then, you know, dissipates into nothing, there's nothing else in there that needs to be killed. Okay? What I like to do is when I go grocery shopping at Aldi or whatever, I'll pick up, on occasion, I'll pick up a case or two of bottled water. We go through a lot of bottled water at home as it is. I have teenagers. But in addition, I like to have cases of bottled water set aside. To save you from doing the math, one case of 24 half-liter bottles comes to a little over three gallons of water. Okay. So if we're going to go by the little over a gallon per person per day, one case of water should satisfy the basic needs of two people per day. Does that make sense? If you want to store your own, that's fine. I also recommend rotating it if you're storing your own. Commercially bottled water is it's processed in such a way that as long as that bottle is never punctured and it's never open, it'll last a really long time. Keep it out of the sun, you're fine. Doing it at home, it's not as foolproof. So I like to re I recommend rotating it out about every year. Don't just pour it down the drain, use it, fill up, drink it, fill up dog dishes, use it for watering plants, things like that. Don't waste it. Water is a precious resource. For filtration, disinfection, purification. Boiling is pretty much foolproof. The only thing boiling won't help is if there are heavy metals or chemicals 
in the water. And in fact, boiling water that's contaminated in that way actually makes the water worse because you're concentrating it. Now, how long do you need to boil the water? Anybody? Three minutes. Three minutes. Who else? Three minutes. Well, you've heard this before. You don't come. <laughs> um, three minutes. I've heard five minutes. I've heard 20 minutes. Here's the science. The waterborne pathogens that could be in the water, the bacteria, the protozoa, the viruses, they will be killed or rendered inert after reaching 158 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay? What is the boiling point of water at sea level? 212. If you bring water to a boil at 212 degrees, have you passed 158 degrees? Probably for a little while, right? If it comes to a rolling boil, you're done. You don't have to keep boiling it. If you want to because it makes you feel better, <clears throat> fine. But we're talking about efficiency, okay? It takes fuel to boil water. It takes more fuel to keep it boiling, all right? Now, here's the really cool little tidbit. Does the boiling point of water go up or down as you increase elevation? It goes down. Every thousand feet, that boiling point goes down. At the peak of Mount McKinley, you know what the boiling point of water is? 158 degrees. Even if you were to decide, I'm going to go climb the mountain because it's there. Boil your water, you're fine. Other approaches involve mechanical filters. Like, uh, I like the Sawyer Mini, the Sawyer Squeeze, I like the Sawyer products. Life Straw works, okay? And a lot of people are familiar with Life Straw because they have a really, really good marketing department. They're a wonderful product, they work. But what I don't like is, you have to be on your hands and knees with the straw in your mouth, sucking the water out of the mud puddle in order to get moisture or whatever container you're using. I don't like that. I don't like having to kneel in the mud. I would rather be able to pour my water into a little bag and squeeze it through my filter or let it gravity feed, things like that. Bleach will work. 16 drops per gallon is the standard. Use non-scented chlorine bleach. We don't want to drink water that smells like lavender and stuff like that. Um, if you're going to use any kind of a mechanical filter or bleach or water purification tablets, it's best if you pre-filter the water, run it through a t-shirt, a coffee filter, something like that to remove the debris, to remove the sticks, to remove the bugs, stuff like that. We don't want to chew our water, right? Get rid of that kind of stuff first because that increases the effectiveness and the efficiency of whatever method we're using to render the water safe to drink. In your home, you do have some hidden sources of water. Okay, if you run out, number one, there's still water in your pipes, even though the, you turn the faucet, nothing happened. Go to the lowest faucet, Turn that on, put a container under it, go to the highest faucet, turn that on, drain the pipes. 
It probably won't be a ton of water, but any water is better than none. Mold, anybody here have rain barrels set up outside? Maybe not right now, but you know, come the season. Um, your toilet tanks, you're not gonna drink that water, but you can use it for other things. You can use it for washing up, things like that. This one is questionable. There is water in your water heater, okay? Anywhere from, you know, what, 20 to 50 gallons, depending on the size of your water heater. However, draining it, you're gonna get a lot of sediment. You're gonna get a lot of gross stuff, okay? You can use the water and it technically would be safe to drink, but it's gonna be kind of gross, okay? Unless you drain that water heater all the time and keep it real clean, okay? Any questions on water? I have to go kind of fast through these because I want to get as much in as we can. Any questions on water? Very quick. Yeah. How come there's so many misconceptions on how long to water? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Some of it, I think, stems from an overabundance of caution. You know, you have an author who sees a recommendation, well, we need to bring the water to a boil for a minute. Well, just to be safe, I'm going to say three minutes so that way nobody gets sick. And then the next guy sees the three minutes as well. I'm going to make it five minutes. And it kind of snowballs from there. With regards to food, everybody should have a minimum of one to two weeks of food in their home at all times, preferably a month or more. When we talk about these emergencies, we're not talking necessarily about the end of the world. We're not talking about, oh my God, we're all going to be under quarantine for the next three months. We're talking about things like job loss. If the main bread, the primary breadwinner in your home were to be downsized tomorrow, how long will it take before the first unemployment check arrives? Weeks. How long could you feed your family on what you have in the home right now without going to the store? If it's less than a couple weeks, you might want to bulk that up a little bit. Now, and those of you who follow me online a little bit and have been through some of these classes, you know, I like to buck the trends when it comes to survival stuff. You can go out and buy special survival food, the freeze-dried, dehydrated, whatever. You don't need it. You don't need it. It's expensive. It's not good for you for a long period of time. And... It's just, you can go to the grocery store and you can do better for cheaper, okay? The only advantage that MREs have <coughs> over grocery store food is if you eat MREs for a few days, you don't have to worry about it being stocked up on toilet paper. That's the only thing they got going for, all right? With things like uh, Mountain House and Wise and these other dehydrated freeze-dried pouch meals, they're great when you're out camping for a couple of days. You spend a week eating just those, you will not be able to take your wedding ring off. Your hands will be so swollen from all the sodium. Okay, I've seen it, I've done it. It's not fun. On top of all that, if your family and you are not accustomed to eating these types of foods on a regular basis, you might find out in a hurry that you might like the food, but the food doesn't like you. And 
we're already going to be stressed in a crisis. We don't want to have to add stomach upset to the mix. If you have young children, it's bad enough that they ate mashed potatoes two days ago and now they're insisting they hate them. Add in a brand new food they've never seen before and you're just, you're asking for trouble, okay? Stick to shelf stable foods that you and your family already eat and enjoy. Dry pasta, uh, rice, beans, uh, what else do I have down here? Cans of canned pasta, soups, dry soup, pouch soup, spam. I like spam, okay? I, I know it's such a stereotype, but to me, it's like a can of bacon. That's what it tastes like when you fry it up. Um, there's pouches of chicken you can get. There's all kinds of stuff that you can get that you can eat now, be used to it, enjoy it, and it'll last a good long time on the shelf so you can stock up. Don't overlook the value of comfort foods. An emergency, a crisis, is not the time to worry about calories. We want to keep people happy, all right? Don't overlook the importance of things like popcorn and chocolate and candy, drink mixes, stuff like that. They're, one of my biggest vices is instant mashed potatoes. I, I'm a potato freak. I love potatoes. I don't know if the Irish in me or what, but I eat a ton of potatoes, and having instant on the shelf just is perfect for me. Um, there are a variety of cooking methods you can use in the event that the microwave stops working, okay? First and foremost, most people have a grill out on their back patio. You can use that to cook more than just steak, okay? I was talking to a woman one time, this was several years ago. She lived down in Kentucky, and they had a massive windstorm that, that came through took down power for like two weeks, wherever she was, this little town. And I was chatting with her, and this was, you know, weeks after the fact, I was chatting with her about how it went, and she said that, you know, we did great until we ran out of charcoal for the charcoal grill, and we couldn't cook any more food. I said, huh? Well, we didn't have any more charcoal. I said, what about all the branches that you were picking up in the yard? You can burn those in your charcoal grill. It never occurred to her because she was just so focused. Well, this is a charcoal grill and we need charcoal. Think outside the box, okay? A lot of people have the uh, the patio wood burners, the, the patio fire pit. You can cook on those. You can go out and buy camp stoves. You can buy alcohol stoves. You know, all this. There's all kinds of different options out there. You just have to think ahead and make sure you have a couple of different ways that you could heat up food and boil water in case the grid were to go down for you for a few days, all right? Don't forget the food-related essentials. Manual can opener. Have a couple of them, because if one of them breaks, you want to have a backup. And I understand that there is a way that you can take a can of food and you can grind it on your driveway for a while and grind away some of that metal and then pop the lid off. 
I have better things to do with my time. Okay. Run down to Goodwill, get yourself a couple of can openers. They're probably 50 cents each. Throw them in the cupboards that we've got them for later. Um, paper plates and plastic utensils are not a bad idea. I don't like to use them on a regular basis just because I'd rather have stuff I can just wash and reuse. But if water is limited, I certainly would like to have the option of being able to just toss them in the trash, you know, paper stuff you can burn, that kind of thing. Any questions on food? Shelter and warmth. Now we're talking about sheltering in place at home. So getting out of the elements probably isn't gonna be that difficult. Walk inside and close the door, right? However, we do live in Wisconsin. We do sometimes have cold winters and sometimes, you know, things happen and, you know, our heat might not be working. The furnace might be on the fritz, whatever. Most of us probably have more than enough blankets kicking around the house. They lead easily three or four blankets per person, okay? If you don't, a real good time to stock up on blankets is right before Christmas. Places like Menards and Target and that, they sell the fleece blankets, really stupid cheap. I'll buy a mess of them every year, toss them in cars, give them to friends for their car emergency kits, keep some around the house. They're not bad to have. Um, in very cold weather, gather everybody into the same room and keep everybody there. The body heat alone will help keep people warm-ish. I understand that the eye rolls from teenagers can be deadly. Okay, I, I get that, but I'd rather have everybody warm. Curl up on the couch next to each other and read stories out loud. You'd be surprised teenagers actually do get into that once you get past that initial pushback. It can be kind of fun. If you decide you want to use any type of a combusting device, make sure you have it properly ventilated and it is safe to use indoors. I don't want anybody to wake up dead because they tried to stay warm. If you have an, a free and open choice between a fireplace and a wood stove, go with the wood stove. If you're building a house, you're remodeling a house, things like that, the wood stove is going to be more efficient when it comes to actually heating things. For the fireplace, most of the heat goes right up the chimney, okay? Um, medical and first aid. I am not qualified to teach anybody first aid. I will tell you that you should have a good first aid kit at home, and you should know how to use everything in that kit. I don't mean you need to go out and learn how to do suturing on a gaping wound. Learn how to do CPR first, which is more likely that you're going to need, okay? Um, tourniquets are good. I don't know if anybody missed that memo, but they, they flip-flopped on that a few years ago. It used to be tourniquets were bad, now they're good. Make sure you know how to use it. Uh, talk to the folks at the Red Cross. See if you can get to one of their Stop the Bleed programs. Learn how to use these things. All right, I'll go with it. How many people here have heard that a tampon works great for bullet wounds and puncture wounds? 
I'm not saying you agree with it. I'm saying, have you heard it? Don't do that. It doesn't work like you think it will. Okay? Uh, prescription medications. For good or bad, we are a society that takes meds on a regular basis. Heart meds, insulin, all this kind of stuff. For any life-saving maintenance drugs, you should have at least two weeks supply at home at all times, preferably more. Now, the pushback is, how do I put together, say, a month's worth of medication? I, I can't afford to just go buy it, and my doctor won't give me a prescription for longer. Here's how this works. This is a safe way to do this. There's nothing wrong with doing this, and you're not going to miss a dose, which is very, very important. I've had people say, well, you know, I'll just skip one every once in a while. No, 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 no. There's a reason why you're supposed to take it every day, okay? Here's how you do this properly. To make the numbers simple, we're going to say you have to take one pill a day, and you're able to get a 30-day supply at a time. Once you understand the technique, you can extrapolate it however you need to. So every month, you are given 30 pills. Now, most medications, you refill, say, three days before you actually run out, right? You, you fill on day 27, let's say. So now, you refilled. You actually have 33 pills at home. You have the three left from your original prescription. You've got 30 of the new ones. Take three of the new ones and put them off to the side. Okay? <clears throat> that makes sense. The next time you refill, the next day 27, take six of those new pills, set them aside. Take those three that you set aside before and use those. Because you want to always save the newest pills. Okay? So now in the course of two months, you've acquired six pills. And you do it again the next month. And now you increase it by another three. It takes time, okay? But over the course of, say, five months, you can acquire, do the math, 15, 16 pills. Doses, okay? That's two weeks right there. And you just keep going. Always save the newest medication and use the oldest. Does that make sense? You didn't miss a dose. You didn't increase your budget. Your insurance company isn't screaming at you. And your doctor isn't screaming at you. That said, it doesn't hurt to ask your doctor, Doc, I'm kind of worried about blank. Make it something simple. Don't say I'm worried about aliens or zombies. Make it something realistic, even if, you know, whatever. I'm worried about this happening. Is there a way that you could work with me to get an extra month of this supply? Most, well, many doctors, as long as it's not a narcotic, are open to the idea. Not all of them. And if it is a narcotic, they're probably going to think twice about it. But otherwise... I've, in my experience talking to people, most physicians are, are open to the concept, especially the last 
irritant. With hygiene, hygiene is very, very important. Number one, the cleaner you are, the less likely you are to suffer illness, infections, things like that. Number two, the cleaner you are, the better you feel. Okay, there's a psychological element at work here. I know particularly us guys, if we don't think anything of going an entire weekend without taking a shower because we're working. We don't care. We're not going out anywhere. And that's fine. But on day seven or eight, when everybody else in the house is like, dude, we've had enough. Okay? You should have the means to wash up. Now, with waste disposal, things get a little dicey. As long as the toilet will flush, you're okay. You can pour water into the tank and keep using the toilet. Okay? Some of us have experienced that before. The problem is, if you reach a point where when you flush and it doesn't go away, okay, now what do we do? Well, one of the simplest, easiest things to do is take a heavy-duty garbage bag, line the toilet, use it a few times, and then take the bag out, put it with the garbage. Now, the other approach is like a five-gallon bucket. Same thing, you line the bucket with the bag, use it, take the bag out. I cannot stress enough to use a high-quality garbage bag and understand that what you're depositing in there has weight, and that weight adds up a lot quicker than you might realize. You don't want to be halfway through the living room with this 30-pound bag that breaks, and you don't have running water. You can't get a mop. This is not fun for anybody, okay? In between uses, sprinkle some laundry detergent or cat litter. Helps keep the smell down a little bit. Um, make sure you have plenty of toilet paper stocked up on hand, but you don't need to go nuts about this. Uh, there was one woman online the other day bragging that she had over 2,000 rolls of toilet paper stockpiled in her garage. And she was still on an autofill every month from Amazon. I, I, why? I, I don't understand. I have multiple children at home. We've never had to go through that much. For the households who that might need it, make sure you stock up on feminine hygiene supplies. You don't want to run out of that kind of stuff. Um, bath wipes can be good for quick washing up without water. It is entirely possible to wash from your forehead to your feet with one cup of water. It's not fun. You're not going to feel squeaky clean, but it can be done. <coughs> Dental hygiene is important. Make sure you have toothbrushes, toothpaste, dental floss, that kind of stuff set aside so you don't run out. Denture cream, definitely. Um, any questions of anything we've gotten to thus far? I know I'm going really fast. 
but I want to make sure I'm not losing anybody. I just want to make a comment. Yeah. Most insurances are non-narcotics will allow you seven days to go. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, lighting. Lighting is important. We don't want to be stumbling around in the dark during a power outage. I am a self-avowed flashlight freak. I have more flashlights than any rational human being should ever that said, I'm always on the lookout for something new. <laughs> what I recommend is having at least one good flashlight every room of the house. Because you don't know where you'll be when the power blips off. That does include the children's bedrooms. Now, I would not put a high-quality tactical flashlight in a five-year-old bedroom. Because you go to use it, the battery will be dead. Sure as God made with green apples. In the kids' rooms, get the crank flashlights. They like to play with them anyway, and if you get a decent one, it takes a lot of effort to break one of them. Trust me, my kids, we used to have a saying, if it absolutely, positively must be destroyed overnight, send in the cob kids. Okay? They have... They never broke one of those crank flashlights. There was one in every room, and they used them all the time. The other flashlight, the other rooms, make sure you have a decent flashlight. I don't like the plastic, cheap, five for $5 doohickeys. They don't last very long. They're just not great. You can do better without spending a ton more money. Um, headlamps are really handy to have especially if you're going to be doing things like washing dishes and other chores during a power outage. It's nice to have hands-free ability. Lacking a headlamp, get a couple of lanterns. You can use oil lamps if you want. I don't like to recommend people use an open flame just because I don't want somebody coming at me later. I had an, I had an oil lamp like you said. My cat knocked it over. My house burned down. Okay. There are LED lamps lanterns that work really nice and they're not that expensive uh, brand names that I tend to gravitate towards are Streamlight Fenix Olight, Surefire all of those are really good, I've never had a problem with any of them um, make sure you stock up on plenty of batteries I like to have a, at least a couple of the, the big power bank things that you can get now, the USB batteries. You plug them into an outlet, let it sit overnight. It holds a charge for a really long time. You can use it to charge or power your cell phones, uh, USB flashlights, things like that. Communication. Don't count on cell service being available. If it is, great, but don't count on it. I had somebody ask me last week, why does the cell tower stop working during a power outage? <laughs> I had to stop for a second and make sure I, I didn't misunderstand the question. Yes, the towers often have generators. They don't last forever. If they don't have power, they're not working. Landline phones, if you can still get the actual true landline service, 
will work, but they are few and far between nowadays. Almost everything is digital and it goes down. Um, if you do have cell service, use texting rather than voice calls. Texting takes less bandwidth and you're more likely to get text to go through. You can also, if you have the right kind of phone, you know, a, a smartphone, my in-laws still have flip phones, so it doesn't work for them. And they're, they're just trying to have that conversation with them doesn't work well. But if you have a regular cell phone, you can go online, right? And you can use social media to communicate. You can send emails. You can access other networks. There's an app out there called Zello that you can download and use. It turns your phone into like a walkie-talkie. It was really, really popular during the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And that's where it really made the news because all these rescue teams were using Zello. What a lot of people didn't understand was you still have to have a Wi-Fi signal for that app to work. It doesn't just work through the air. You have to have an internet signal in order for that to operate. Uh, a crank radio, little crank radio, so you can tune in AM, FM, shortwave, weather radio, that kind of stuff. Information is important. You can only make informed decisions if you have information. The communication tools are what brings that information to you so you can figure out what your next move is going to be based on what you're being told is happening in the world around you. Uh, amateur radio, for the people who are interested in ham radio, it's an awesome tool. Please go get your license and then play with the radio. Don't buy the radio. After, after a crisis, nobody's going to be watching, so I don't, I don't need a license. Well, you're right. You know, If the world comes to an end, the FCC is not going to run around giving out fines, but you need the license so you can practice using the radio and so you can network with other ham operators. Entertainment. This is one that gets overlooked because it's not as fun as food storage and water filters and tools and stuff like that. Boredom is a thing that exists. And when people get bored, they get cranky, they get irritable, they get on each other's nerves. Now, one of the things that's been in the news the last couple of weeks is the, the novel coronavirus, the Wuhan flu, the Kung flu, whatever you want to call it. And one of the things that we talk about is the possibility of being under quarantine for a period of time where you're not allowed to leave your house or your property or whatever. We talk about making sure you have enough food and water and toilet paper and medications, that kind of stuff. And that stuff's important, don't get me wrong. But on day 12, when the rest of the family is just right there and they won't leave and they won't leave you alone and you're going out of your mind, have something for them to do. Anybody here have a spouse who retired and suddenly they're just there 
all the time. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you doing that? No, don't do it like that. Do it like this. You want to just throttle it. Okay? A recommendation that I, <laughs> I put on, on social media the other day. When you go home tonight or tomorrow morning, I want you to sit down with a piece of paper and make a list of every person who lives in your home. And I want you to come up with a few different things for each person that you dearly love about them. So that way, on day 12 of the quarantine, and you're ready to just throttle them, you can pull out that list to remind yourself why you still want them around. Make sure you have things like board games, puzzles, decks of cards, dice, books about games that you can play with decks of cards and dice. Particularly the younger kids, craft stuff. Uh, drawing things. Um, I don't recommend glitter. To don't don't go down that road. Glitter is the herpes of the craft world. You will never get rid of it. Um, but other things, okay, things that the kids can do to keep them out of your hair for a little while. Some miscellaneous recommendations. Safety gear. Anybody know what the acronym PPE stands for? Personal protective equipment, goggles, mask, gloves, work boots, things like that. These are things that are important. If it's a crisis, the last thing you want to do is to have to try to run to the emergency room because you've got a three-inch sliver in somebody's eyeball because you weren't looking what you were looking at what you were doing. Okay. Um, make sure you have fire extinguishers. Make sure they're not expired. Make sure you have smoke detectors. Make sure you have a CO detector. Make sure that these things work. Important documents. You should have a flash drive, a thumb drive, with copies of important documents saved to it so that if, heaven forbid, your house gets leveled, you have a way to recover some of that information. This would include photocopies of, or scans, I should say, scans of your identification. The front and back of every card that's in your wallet. Why the front and back? Because the front gives you the account number and the back gives you the 800 number to call. Um, good idea to have your insurance information. Some people recommend that you make a photocopy of the entire insurance policy. You can if you want. But you can usually get that from your insurance agent. Just have their contact information, your policy number, that kind of thing. Um, most of us are probably old enough that we've memorized our bank account numbers. We don't necessarily need to write those down, but if you feel that's necessary, go for it. Reasonably current photos of each family member. Heaven forbid, one of them comes up lost, you've got a, a fairly current photo that you can provide for people to look for them. Pictures of your pets with you in the frame, with Fido, with the kitty. Why? The cat or dog can't tell anybody who they belong to. 
But with that photo, if the pet is found, it's pretty easy to prove. Yep, that's my dog. Here's a picture, okay? This last one is a massive time suck, and I apologize for it, but you really should do it. Go through your photo albums. Pick out the photos that you dearly love the most and scan them in. You will thank me if there's ever a house fire. It's a time suck because, well, I want them all. Okay, but it's going to take you a long time. Okay? The flash drive that we're talking about, download and install some type of password protective software so that if it's just found randomly, somebody can't access all your information. When I used to work outside the home, I had three identical flash drives that I would update every six months. I kept one on my keychain. I kept one at my office, and my wife kept one at her office. That way, there's at least two that are off-site, so if something were to ever happen at home, we've still got that stuff set up. If you don't work outside the home, or just for whatever reason that's not a viable option for you, talk to a family member or friend, and maybe swap. They keep one for you, you keep one for them. Talking about pets, make sure you have enough food for them. Make sure you have an ample supply of medication for them if they're on meds. Um, sanitation supplies. If, for some reason, you're not allowed to leave your house, and your pet's not allowed to leave the house, and your pet normally goes outside to go to the bathroom, you could, at the end of summer is the best time to do this, buy a little kitty pool and stash it up in the rafters of the garage or something. Push comes to shove, you bring that down, line up with newspaper, have them do their business there. I've heard some people say, well, you know, I could rip up sod in the backyard and bring that in and put that in there. You can, yeah, that's a little bit more work than I want to do, but okay. Um, with If you have young children, make sure you have plenty of diapers, wipes, diaper cream, that kind of stuff. My wife and I, when our kids were little, we didn't carry a diaper bag with us throughout every store we went to. Okay, I, that just wasn't me. We had a box in our van. It was about the size of two copy paper boxes end to end. I can't remember where we picked this up, but it, it stayed in our van for years. Had three changes of clothes for each kid. We had plenty of diapers, wipes, all that kind of stuff. We just kept it in the van. My thinking was something dire happens in the store and I need to change a kid. I'd rather go out and do it in my van than worry if one of these rickety shelf things is going to, in the bathroom, is just going to take a tumble. Okay? Your mileage may vary, but that's what we used to do. Formula, baby food, any medications for the kids. I recommend having basic over-the-counter meds for everybody, pain relievers, fever reducers, uh, cough, cold, stuffy nose, that kind of stuff. Again, the idea being, if something were to happen to confine you at home for a length of time, you don't want to, oh crap, we needed this, and we forgot it. 
things you use every day, every week, every month, have enough on hand to last you for at least a few weeks, if not a month. Any questions on anything that we just buzzed through? Yeah. What do you what do you feel about kerosene heaters in the house? <sighs> they can be okay. There are models that are safe to use. Make sure it's rated for indoor use. On a personal preference level, I don't like them because I'm just, mm. but there are models that are okay to use indoors. Just make sure it's rated for indoor use. It's rated for indoor use, but you don't use it at night. Mm -hmm. Right. That's where the covers come in and exactly. whatever. That's, that's when you're cuddling. Common so, sense. Common yeah. sense. I've got three dogs at home. I've got a wife. I don't have a problem keeping warm at night. With me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the other said you can drink peroxide if you take it out of the bottle and let it sit in the air in a clear glass for like a couple days. It will turn into water and you can drink it. Is that true? I've never heard that before. I've never That's heard why that it's in a brown bottle so it doesn't convert back water. And that, that makes sense. That makes sense. But it's one of the, for me, even if it is true, and I don't know that it is, but let's, let's just, for sake of argument, yes, this is gospel. You can do that. Why? I mean, to me, my, I, I'll admit I'm lazy, okay? I don't want to have to, you know, store all this different kind of stuff. I'm going to go out and buy a case of water, and I'm not going to worry about wondering if I can turn hydrogen peroxide into water. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, the crayon candles. And, yeah. Yeah. They, there's this thing online that says you can take a, a crayon and you can light it just like a candle and it will burn for 30 minutes. You know what else burns for 30 minutes? A candle. <laughs> I've had people, they, they'll post a picture of this, can, this crayon lit and say, next time I go to the store, I'm buying a box of crayons. Buy candles if you're going to the store, okay? Never plan to improvise. Improvising is great when the plan falls apart, but don't rely on it from the get-go, and that's kind of what the peroxide would be. Don't rely on that, you know, buy water, store water, that kind of thing. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering when you're, when you're, what do you feel generally would be your obligation to people that don't prepare at all, even when you tell them and you suggest it, and then suddenly we're out of everything, mm -hmm. not in your household? Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very much a judgment call, okay? I have people in my life that I would have absolutely no problem at all closing the door in their face, and I wouldn't. Bad and I, I have other people who I have talked to until I'm blue in the face and they just won't get it, they don't do it. But if they showed up at my door, I'd help. It's very much a judgment call. Um, I'm, I'm not the same person to everybody in my life. I have some people who think I am a raging lunatic. And I have other people who think I am just the most caring, loving person in the world. And they're both right. I, I treat people differently based on how they treat me. 
Any other questions? Yeah. I notice you don't have any firearms. Yeah, it's 758. <laughs> <laughs> That's a discussion that can go on forever. When it comes to defense, my, rec my standard recommendation is this. If you're comfortable with firearms, I recommend them. If you're uncomfortable with firearms, I recommend you get comfortable with them. I don't recommend you go out and spend $10,000 on a massive armory and enough ammunition for a third world country. Unless it's a hobby. Unless it's just that's an area of interest, go for it. But don't neglect the other areas of your preparedness plan. And that's where I, I found that people fall. That's where they really falter. I'm a knife guy. He knows. He's seen them. Uh, I, I have more knives than... I have way more knives than I ever will need. My wife reminds me of it constantly. Um, but at the same time, I have food, I have water, I have shelter, I have medical, I have all these other things taken care of. Where What I see happen is people will concentrate on one area, whether it's firearms or knives or food or water or whatever. They zero in on this one area and they neglect everything else. Firearms are good. They're good to have, but you can't eat them. Okay? You can't drink them. And they're kind of pricey. I mean, they're fun. Don't get me wrong. I like guns, but they're expensive. And they're expensive to maintain. They, they require food. You know? Yes, you should have a way to defend yourself and your family. Yes, you should know how to use those things effectively, efficiently, and safely, but not to the detriment of the other areas of your plan. Does that make sense? Thus endeth the lesson. I do have some magazines over here for sale if anybody wants them. They're 10 bucks each, including our brand new, never seen before coronavirus survival guide that just came out. Um, at the end of your handout packet, there's some information about me, including links to where you can find my stuff on Amazon, um, my website. At the very bottom is my email address. If you have a question that we didn't talk about and that you were too afraid to raise your hand and ask, shoot me an email. I'm very active on Facebook, for right or wrong, that's where I network with people. You can always hit me up there with questions, comments, concerns, or complaints. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation. Check us out at macmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the information desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast. Mm -hmm.